So now, now we're recording. We're in Job 27, and we're starting. I kind of missed a little bit. So we're in verse six, where Job says he is righteous. But uh, we all, we all also know that uh, this person is a hypocrite. They, uh, this is man trying to act like God. And so th- this is the religious... Hey, Sarah. So this is... I don't know. Somehow this kind of clicks with me that you know Job's friends are calling him a hypocrite, him a hypocrite but in reality they are being hypocritical. And uh, so uh, God is righteous. That's what. Uh, that's how God acts. Uh, lost man acts unrighteously, and that's at the end of Romans chapter one. It mentions two, uh, twenty-two things there that are uh, unrighteous, and then uh, the self-righteous is, in a way, uh, in fact, uh, let's turn over to that Romans ten, because because this is kind of how Israel is, according to uh, Paul the apostle. Let's all turn to Romans 10. And I'll read these. I'll read these first four verses here. This is Paul in Romans 10.1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Then it says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And so Israel Israel would fall into this category that they... They understood the righteousness of God, but they're seeking their own righteousness, and they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So that's really kind of a, a powerful thing there, and I highlighted that a little bit on your handout. Uh, anyway, my teaching point there is a, a quote from Jeff Adams. That's uh, one of the books I'm going through as we study this. He says, There's a fine line between confidence in our own righteousness and carnal self-righteousness. He says there is also a fine line between correctly correctly assessing the other person's spiritual condition and falsely condemning them. And so I thought that was just pretty good uh, wording that uh, Pastor Jeff wrote there. Any other thoughts in these first few section of verses? Oh. I did not even bring that up. Thank you. So in verse 2, uh, I just looked up the word vexed in the Bible. And the first mention from Numbers is where uh, Egypt, they vexed God's people. So I had put Egypt in the first blank. And the second blank was where uh, Lot... That was uh, that the the people of Sodom and Gomorrah vexed his righteous soul. Uh, 
So that, that's thank you for bringing that up, Suzanne. I just thought that was kind of interesting. The first mention of the word vex or vexed in the Bible was where the Egyptians vexed God's people. And the last time where Lot was vexed with the filthy conversation of uh, the world, uh, specifically Sodom where he was living. All right. Uh, I put a definition there. It means to tease or provoke or irritate or trouble or agitate or disquiet or afflict. So yeah, I actually looked at it. It's on your handout there under letter B of. <clears throat> so all right. Well, uh, Suzanne, would you read? Job 27, and if you just read 7 through 12, appreciate that. Let my mind enemies be as the wicked, that they wrath, they rise up, rise, rise up against me as unrighteous. For what is hope of the hypocrite through that? Through he hath been, when, he, when God taketh away his soul. Well, God hears cries, and the trouble cometh upon him. He will delight himself in the Almighty. Will he always call upon God? I will teach you by the hand of God that which is what that which is with the Almighty will not will I not conceal. Behold, all ye yourselves have seen it. Why then are you ye thus? Always vain, altogether vain. Yeah, so he, uh, hey Pat, I'm going to have you turn to John 13 if you would. But in verse 7, Job makes this statement uh, Let mine enemy be as the wicked, and he that riseth up against me as the unrighteous. So he's basically saying, I'm on God's side, so if you're against me, you're against God. And in John 13, uh, Pat, I'll have you read verse 18. And the... Uh, this little phrase is in your Bible several times. And here it is. This little th- phrase, you know, I think it's it's in there several times. But when you get to John 13, 18, if you'll read that. Okay. I speak not of the law. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted his heel against me. Yeah, he that eateth bread with me, he lifted his heel against me. And that, that's a reference to Judas Iscariot, wasn't it? That he, he's dipping, the, that's the Last Supper, and he's saying that, uh, that Judas is not with me. He's actually against me. And so I just thought that was really interesting. I, I get, those other references are from the New Testament as well that I gave you. And anyway, I just thought that was interesting. And this word, uh, in verse 8, he mentions the word hypocrite, like we already... Um, and I think I put that at the bottom of your front page in my teaching point. The Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the word hypocrite, is one who feigns to be what he is not, who has the form of godliness without the power, or who assumes an appearance of piety and virtue when he is destitute of true religion. And this verse from Matthew 24 
and shall cut him uh, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth and so that that really goes with my illustration here the self-righteous who uh, lost man acting like god so hypocrites goes in your blank there and uh Christ says that uh, and I think I've heard it I've heard it said that the word hip the, the English word hypocrite can even come from uh, a word meaning like a mask like you're wearing a mask that you're not who you are under the mask you you're trying to present something you're not so all that uh, is good and uh, he asked some rhetorical questions there and uh, that letter D is in Delta. <clears throat> I put, I think I got this from Jeff Adams' book. Job uses some great logic by describing things that are obvious, and now he's going to lay out kind of the logical, logical or scriptural truth to his friends and to us. So, anyway, this next section. Let's go to the, the next page of your handout, the back side, and then we'll. Uh, Look at these next verses, uh, 13 through 18. Uh, Sarah, would you mind reading those? This is the portion of a wicked man with God, the heritage of oppressors, which they shall receive of the Almighty. If his children can be multiplied, it is for the sword, and his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. Uh, 18. Oh, okay. Those that remain of him shall be buried in death, and his widows shall not weep. Though he keep up silver as the dust and prepare raiment as the clay, he may prepare it, but the dust shall put it away, and the innocent shall divide the silver. He buildeth his house as a moth, and as a booth that the keeper make. All right. So, uh, we didn't look at them too much, but in verses 9 and 10, there were kind of some rhetorical questions that, you know, God's not going to hear the cry of the wicked. In verse 10, uh, will he delight himself in the Almighty? So, the wicked, you know, don't find delight in the Almighty. So, he asks these rhetorical questions, and then he hits us with what uh, Sarah just read, that really the portion of, of the wicked man... Uh, his, his heritage or his inheritance is going to be with the oppressors and uh, it even now verse 14 is what I alluded to earlier from Judges uh, uh, Rosie and, uh, and Sarah I don't think were here but uh, it talked about uh, the sword of Gideon being like this barley bread and in verse 14 it mentions the word sword and his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread so sword and bread are in that verse just like they were back in Judges but this is talking about the children of the wicked and uh, you know this is kind of what happens at, at Armageddon it's, like, it's almost like the people who believe in the Antichrist uh, that they're going to be multiplied just to be slaughtered by the sword at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it mentions they're not going to be satisfied with bread. 
And I think that's a reference to uh, the famine that that uh, comes. I'm trying to think if I put any references on my handout to this. Yeah, now, now that one I didn't put on there. What does it say? Um, or it talks about the last days. There should be a famine in the land. Yeah. Famine for the bread, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Yes, that's almost exactly. So that is, I should have put that on there, Pat. Uh, the references I gave were uh, to the Antichrist in Revelation 6 there. And I put that the sword and famine are prophetic and I don't know why but I put the word shocking it's like you know a lot of things these days are are done kind of for the shock factor but some of this is truly epic in proportion you know these the the prophets that prophesy it doesn't rain during their prophecy so there's there is a physical famine as well as a spiritual famine that Pat mentioned of the hearing of the word of God and yeah let's look at the revelation verse there the 6 revelation 6 5 and 6 this is uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, verse 5. It says, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. I mean, that has to do with buying and selling. And then verse 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and a measure of and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine and uh, if we were to cross reference uh, that word penny we find it uh, it's what it was like a day's wages so it's like you work all day for you know enough uh, food for some bread and so it, it was uh, that's a reference to famine and uh Anyway, I, I like your your reference too, Pat. What was his reference? It's Amos eight eleven. Eight eleven. Okay. Do you have it, hon? Uh, yes, I had written down eight, but that didn't sound right. Yeah, go ahead and read that if you would. Um, eight eleven. Amos eight eleven or Hosea. What was it? It was Amos, I think. Amos. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of water, but of hearing the word. Mm. And we're we're there, aren't we? We are there. Um, I think I told this group uh, a couple weeks ago. I haven't heard the results, but you know, in in Israel, they're trying to ban uh, anybody speaking the name of Jesus, and it was punishable up to a year in prison. And so they're trying to do legislation for that. And uh, in Canada, some of this is already true, where uh, you're not to preach against uh, homosexuality. And uh, people are have been sent to prison for that in Canada, and so we're not we're not far from there uh, here in the U.S. of A. Are we? It's uh, right around the corner. But anyway, I feel like God's just kind of protected us in this little pocket of uh, we're holding to the Word of God, and and He He'll 
protect us or, or, or we'll be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and God is able to deliver us but even if He doesn't we're, we're going to stick with the Word of God. Amen? Alright. Well, uh, back to Job 27. <clears throat> In verses 16 and 17 that Sarah read, this is a reference to uh, the riches of the wicked. It says... In verse 16, though he heap up silver as the dust and prepare raiment as the clay, uh, he may prepare it, but the just shall put it on and the innocent shall divide the silver. So this is a great promise that, uh, you know, in Luke 19, those faithful servants, they inherited cities. And so we will, uh, uh, there's a reference in Ecclesiastes I gave you and Proverbs 13 talks about the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just and so we need to keep laying up our treasure in heaven and uh, you know that's those are the things that are eternal is the word of God and the souls of men and so we can't be too sidetracked by possessions and uh, you know that that's what Paul even gives in first uh, Corinthians 7 the, the great chapter on marriage he says that you know uh the the bride uh, has to care for the things of this world how she can care for her husband but uh and the husband he has to care for the things of this world to take care of his wife but uh he says in verse 35 of of 1 Corinthians 35 is kind of the point of marriage is you know that we can uh serve the lord without distraction it says and and uh you know we we, we even talk about distractions a lot don't we a lot of things kind of petition us for our time and it's kind of a complicated day and age we live and all all these gadgets we have to make our lives simpler have in a way made it more complex and so if we can uh, simplify our lives and free us up to serve the lord without distraction then that's what we need to do amen Amen. and so um, anyway just some amazing things here from Job that were written 3,000 years ago and then in verse 18 that Sarah read just about talking about the wicked he builds his house as a moth and as a booth that the keeper maketh and you know if you've ever cleaned out, you know, an old dresser and you got moths or whatever, it's just kind of a, like a cocoon and, you know, you can just wipe it away and knock it down easily. And so that is the point. The, the wicked's things are easily torn down. They're only temporary. And this booth there, like if a shepherd's out in the field, you know, he, just for the night, he might lean some sticks up and kind of make a wind block, but it's just temporary and it's easily torn down. And so that, that's what he's saying that riches are uh, very temporary. And, and what I gave you in, on your teaching point here, uh, if you wanted to underline something, I think I... No, that was that was the next section. But uh, my teaching point here was from Matthew six: Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so that is just uh, so true. I, I know Adrian Rogers used to say he he could tell your where your treasure's at 
by looking at your calendar and your checkbook. He said those are the two books. What you do with your time, what you do with your money, those are what's important to you. And I thought that was pretty profound of Pastor Rogers. Job 27, 19 through 23. Let's read through the end of that. And Emmett, we're back to you if you'd care to read 19 through the end. The rich man shall lie down, but he shall not be naked. He openeth his eyes, and he is not. Tears take hold on him, as water is a tempest stealeth him away in the night. The east wind carrieth him away, and he departed. And a, a storm filleth him out of his place. For God shall cast upon him and not spare. He would fain flee out of his hands. Men shall clap their hands at him and shall hiss him out of his place. Alright, now if you look at your teaching point about verse 19. Uh, let me read 19 again I want you to guess what goes in the blank it says the rich man shall lie down but he shall not be gathered he openeth his eyes and he is not and my handout says the death of the wicked and the death of the believer is blank the same what do you think it is what do you think I put in there it's, it's twice in that verse I know I kind of sprung that on you. It's it's the word not. It's uh, you know in the old in the Old Testament and I gave you some references there when uh, when uh, Abraham's son Isaac died. It says he was gathered to his people, and it even says that about Jacob when he died he was gathered to his fathers or something like that. But here it says that this rich man's going to lie down. And not be gathered. So he, he doesn't, so even though the rich people uh, and uh, the poor people maybe die the same in the sense they give up the ghost, uh, believers go to be with the Lord and the lost go to hell, right? So that's why, that's why I'm saying they're, they're not the same. And that's why this says that this rich, this rich wicked person doesn't gather to, to, to his fathers like, uh, the people of God. And then in verse 20, it says, terrors take hold on him as waters, a tempest stealeth him away in the night. And, uh, I, I find this very interesting. What are the two worst ways that people could think of to die I mean think of the worst way to possibly die what do you think they are drowning drowning in fire drowning in fire and those are I mean I think I think they've done surveys about that sort of thing and so uh, isn't it interesting that the second death is called the lake of fire the lake of fire like you're drowning and you're on fire it's like this is the most terrifying thing that lost people uh, happens to them and that's what it's, it's saying here terrors take hold on them as, as waters uh, and this tempest so and, and maybe that's a reference to the flood of Noah and, and how terrifying that would be of those that didn't heed the warning from 
the preacher of righteousness, Noah. So anyway, I, I thought that was... I put the word lake in your last blank there. And then uh, in verse 21, it talks about the east wind. And that, that little phrase, east wind, comes up several times in your Bible. It's, it's the, when the Red Sea crossing, the, I think the, red, the, the east wind is maybe what caused them to part, and then the east wind blew again and, and drowned the uh, Pharaoh and his armies. And uh, anyway, I'm listening to uh, uh, Brother uh, James Horton sent me... Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of a guy named Ron Wyatt. He was back in the 70s and 80s and did a lot of archaeological finding. But he kind of puts uh, the Red Sea crossing at a different place than most scholars. Uh, and and him and his boys kind of dove down and they take underwater metal detectors and they've they think they found like the Red Sea crossing. And so maybe some of you heard that. I'm just kind of hearing it for the first time of something different than you know the maps in the back of your Bible. Yeah. I've seen where they have videos of huh? submersibles that they take down and they show the wagon wheels. Yeah, that's what this was doing. Yeah. They had these, and because like the yeah, it, that's. I mean, I'm listening to it while I'm on the treadmill, so I, I'm not watching it. But it's a video. It's a two-hour thing that uh, James Horton sent me. It's just really good and really strengthens your faith in the Bible and how practically things happen. I mean, you read it and you believe it, but you can't maybe put yourself there. But these things really happen, and the slope of the ground, and you know, it wasn't muddy at the bottom, and all of that is historically and geographically accurate. And Anyway, they think they found Mount Sinai is a different place and the top of it's kind of blackened because the fire of God that came down and anyway, today the color of the rocks different up there and it's just really uh I love I love all that. Well, people have known that for years, Steve, and they won't they, they won't do because they don't want to change the maps in the Bible. Something, yeah. Do you know that they said the location of Mount Sinai that the whole world recognizes? The only like historical references is that uh, Constantine's mother said this is Mount Sinai. That's the only the only reason they think that Mount Sinai in our Bible maps is Mount Sinai because Constantine's mother said that was it. I got a good video on that too. Do you? With the guys that went there. Yeah. So anyway, a lot of what we've it was just kind of blowing my mind. Like from a kid, I've seen. Before we think Mount Sinai is, but that's maybe not it. It's like having to rethink stuff. Anyway, hopefully, hopefully we're all flexible and uh, humble enough to maybe believe things that we didn't uh, were, were teachable. I guess is what we need to be. All right. It's in the Bible, word, yeah. It's in Galatians, I think. Well, it's in Arabia. Yeah, in Arabia. Arabia, which is the mother of us all. Uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly, yeah. In comparison. Yeah. Well, yeah, Saul spent those three years in Arabia at Mount Sinai or something. It says that. So you're, you're right, uh, Pam. Well, why didn't they listen to that? I, I don't know. Why did they say ghost in King James? 
Uh-huh. That is so weird. That really bothers me about King James. Like, okay. Ghost. It says ghost. ghost. Instead of spirit. Because the spirit, the Holy Spirit, it's just the Holy Spirit. And when it comes into a believer, its function, it, it's the Holy Ghost inside of the Yeah. Not me. I don't have any ghosts in That's what they call well, I appreciate that uh, comment. Uh, all right, let's finish this up here. Verse 22, it talks about not sparing. It says, For God shall cast upon him and not spare. Uh, talking about the the lost. Uh, and uh, the reference I gave you there is that in, in Romans uh, 8, it says that God spared not His Son for us. And, you know, all, all of us uh, were lost before we were saved. And God did not spare. He used that same word. And so He, He, He gave us His best, didn't He? He gave us His, His Son Jesus Christ. And so, uh, I gave you some other references for, uh, the word not spare. So he didn't spare his wrath from the wicked, but he didn't spare his only son for us, for the saved. And then this uh, clapping and hissing, mentioned in verse 23, uh, has to do with this. Uh, I wrote to you the kind of a definition there. It's a form of contempt and scorn, and it says similar things in Lamentations, as well as with Christ on the cross. Uh, you know, they shoot out their hit, their lip, they they wag their heads, they're showing contempt and scorn for the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it don't mention the clapping and hissing, but it, that's what it made me think of. Anyway, my teaching point there is just uh, from Timothy about not trusting in, in uncertain riches. It says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And so, uh, Pat, will you uh, close us in prayer today? We're going to get out early and go see some Easter egg hunt. And uh, thank you all for being here. And uh, Angie and I love and care about all of you. Lord, uh, we just ask today that you we just want to first of all thank you for for all that you've done. We just we just praise you on this day.